everybody for tuning in to the shore thing it is february 3rd warren and ryan here with you today we'll talk about the nfl the happenings there a couple of more i've been taking a gander at some couple more props out there we've had some line movement out there and there's also one more i want to get out there before i think the line might change a little bit who knows we could do that we'll talk about i want to talk about uh, u.s soccer uh, as we're heading into the final three matches of the U.S. or of the World Cup qualifiers, and the de- and just the debacle that was last night, even though they won, and then uh, the Olympics are going on. I've already checked out a little bit of that, taking a look at some Olympic props, but don't know uh, if there's anything out there that I like. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and the iHeartRadio app. Ryan, uh, Ryan, how's it going out there? It's not uh, Snowmageddon, but it is like icing, sleeting, and a little snow. It is, yeah. Uh, we were talking a little pre-show, and uh, not not nearly as bad as last year. We uh, we lost power a couple times. It was going in and out during the middle of the night, but uh, by all accounts, I guess they were prepared and were able to restore uh, power over here in the boonies pretty quickly and get things back rolling. So it's you know obviously been been a lot more pleasant experience than it was during snowmageddon well this 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 storm is like a cupcake compared to what it was last year yeah um so they they should they should be prepared to handle this one because it's not the whole state's not in it and it's only a little bit of snow I, the biggest thing is probably ice on the power lines it's not that uh it's really not it's not terrible i i, I don't mean to downplay like oh it's as this guy from the north coming in and saying this this uh I bet you're from the midwest midwest the midwest north look they all say the same thing when it comes to snow the midwest that it's like oh you 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 get a little snow you people can't handle it here but this storm really isn't that bad you shouldn't drive because the roads are terrible but other than that um it's not uh it's not bad my friends did one of my favorite things about getting ready for this was that uh or upcoming was on tiktok everybody making the ted cruz cancun jokes uh that's always a always a favorite of mine and everybody trying to figure out doing bits on if they're going to lose power and stuff like that so tiktok was definitely uh, not letting me down on that yeah that's good to know good to know (laughs) all right the nfl ryan you're a commie yep i'm going commando baby <laughs> you uh, i saw your t- you're obviously not pleased but the name commanders i think has been known for what two weeks now yeah uh all right thoughts because i went through a name change i was pretty indifferent on it and uh uh yeah your thoughts the name is uh it's whatever uh if i had to give it a rating probably like a 4.2 out of 10 uh don't hate it don't love it I would have much preferred to say the football team. I think I've expressed that numerous times uh, on this show. Um, so, and like you said, it had been uh, leaked a couple weeks ago. So I was, I, you know, I had some time to cope with it already. Uh, it wasn't like it was just sprung on me. Like I said, it could have been much, much worse. People that were saying the the Red Wolves, I think that's kind of goofy, kind of lame. Like if you told a seven-year-old to name a football team, he'd name it the Red Wolves. Um, so, you know, it's uh, – it is what it is. The worst part of it is the uniforms. Uniforms are absolutely terrible. Um, they they are. I mean, the, I'll I'll say this. I praised Washington at first for not just you know jumping in and 
uh, making a decision. They went, they switched to the football team. They gave it two years. They had all this time to plan and put together, you know, some options. They took a couple different routes. And then I was like, okay, so, you know, they're taking their time. They're methodically thinking about this, no rash decisions. And I think I would have rather them just make a rash decision and put out trash than take two years to put out trash when it comes to the uniforms. Uh, the white uniforms stink. Everyone keeps saying, oh, nobody has a nice, has good white uniforms. I disagree. I think there are some pretty slick white uniforms out there. Um, they, they went with like this youth soccer umbro print on the numbers. Uh, that's like this speckled dotted. I don't even know what kind of pattern. And it just looks like garbage. The number fonts, uh, I guess because they're the commanders, they took the uh, font from what looks like to me is reminiscent of the army numbers that they put on their football jerseys uh, with this weird design on it. So that stinks. The burgundy ones are fine. The black ones, I've, I've, I've wanted a black jersey or black uniform for Washington for a while now. Uh, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And these stink. The Saving grace, and I don't even know if it's a saving grace. The matte helmets are kind of cool. I see a lot of teams going towards that. I think I prefer the glossy burgundy helmets. Um, the now I will say the branding and like the logo and the word marks and stuff, they did a good job there. Again, maybe like a seven out of ten, nothing, nothing spectacular, but you know, not boring either. Uh, I think they just try to do too much when it comes to uniforms. And it's, uh, you know, it would have been a lot better to keep it more simple. But then again, too, I guarantee you if they would have kept it simple, I would have been like, hey, man, this would have been the time to change it up a little bit and do something a little different. So, you know, you're never going to please everybody. Uh, you're probably going to disappoint most. But um, that's kind of where I stand. I, I Like I said, I hate the uniforms. They're absolutely terrible. They This whole time they're saying, oh, we're going to make sure that we honor our past while, you know, taking a leap and turning a leaf into a new future. They did none of, none of that other than keeping the burgundy and gold for one uniform. Because the white uniforms, it's it's more like a like a red. It's not even it's not even burgundy. It's like a red, and it's uh, it's absolute trash. But you know it is what it is. Um, I don't know why I'm shocked that a organization, an organization that continuously fumbles the bag and continuously screws up decisions left and right. I don't know why I thought they'd get this one right because I don't think they did. Um, you know, it, like I said, I think it was very much average at best. Uh, you know, so I, I, like I said, I. It is what it is. I, I'm, I'm still going to root for the team, unfortunately. Um, but that's kind of where I stand with, with the whole thing. I don't think the jerseys are that bad. I, I really do. don't. Yeah, I do. I, I like everything. I just don't get why I, what, like, what did you want from the jerseys then? I guess. Like, like I said, get a little bit more like a more simple, sleek look. Like I said, this they try. It's to about as simple as you could get. They don't have anything on the pants that's just the same color. They they got a little stripe on it, the it, shoulder. It's, like it's the, it's the it's the print on the numbers. I hate the print on okay. the numbers, and I hate the fonts. And then the on the white jerseys, the uh, the stripes on the side. Like what are those? Like those? It's just uh, like I said, very. They try to do too much while also trying to like you know. I get, I get it. They're trying to turn over a new lease. They're trying to, you know, forge ahead into this new, uh, this new era. But as long as Dan Snyder's there, it doesn't matter. But like I said, the, 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 the speckled prints and the fonts of the numbers is just, it's terrible. It's really bad. And, and like I said, the, the color of the red on the white jersey. I, I get that. I get is, that. Isn't isn't even like a, a team color. I get that. That's thing. The the I thought the worst. I thought the egregious, the worst w thing on the, the helmet. Yeah. Yeah, everyone keeps trashing that. And eh, that, that one, that part doesn't even bother me as much. Um, but uh, I, like I said, the black jersey could have been really, really cool. I think if they went more black and burgundy than black and gold, it would have been, uh, you know, a lot cooler. 
But the W on the front of the helmet, everyone keeps trashing that. I re- That's probably one of the things that bothers me the least of the whole thing. The thing I don't get is they have to be the only... Like I, I think the jerseys are fine. They're on, they're they were on mannequins yesterday. You saw the players wearing them or whatever. I, I think people will maybe when you see them on on the field or whatever they could, they could change your mind or whatever. Uh, I just don't get that. Each now looking more uh, at it more closely now, how each jersey has a different number font. I'm not like I think these are fine jerseys. I'm not like you saying they're like terrible or whatever. But that each jersey has a different number font. Like they have to be the only team in the league that has that. Because if you, I think every every team has like the same font for the numbers. Like the the font might change then if they have the um, the uh, whatever they have on the chest. Um, but like the numbers usually stay the same. And this there's three different. Uh, I think there's three different fonts, right? Or is it yeah, all? No, it's it's pretty. It's pretty. They're all like. No, they all look the same. I I, yeah. I saw. Sorry, the, the black and the yellow one. It's it's hard because in the on the burgundy one they didn't put a nine up there, so it's kind of hard to. It's hard to decipher the difference between the font or they look different. Right. Yeah. No. See the and that's what I I, I felt for the same thing. I thought the the uh, yellow was di- the excuse me the black. And yellow or black and gold, whatever you want to call it, was different from the burgundy and gold. But when you look, take a little bit of a closer look there, they are the same font. They have like those weird lines on, on different numbers. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the font is technically kind of different on the white one because it doesn't have the like the little, like I said, the lines on it, the weird vertical or excuse me, yeah, the weird vertical lines. So that's a little bit different, but it's like still the same font, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I we talked about this when the Indians changed to the Guardians. I don't think really everybody is going to be happy with it, or there's going to be a lot of people. Huh? I said no. I said a hundred percent because there's never like there's never like teams that change names. Like you get a new team name. Like if you get an expansion team, it's okay. You get the Seattle Kraken. You get the OKC Thunder, and like they just start from scratch. Here, you've already had a hundred years for the for the Guardians, and X amount of years for now the, the Commanders. It's like people have already known them for what it is. So how are you just you're you just changing a snap, and people are going to be mad and frustrated about about that. So it's like. No, like no team who, whenever they change it, is gonna be like universally like praise for what, for what name they they chose. It's it's they're the team's really in a lose lose, and they just have to hope that people people just they they come around they come around on it um, throughout the years. I I the, I think the big difference though between the two name changes is that. Like Washington went to the football team for two years rather than just saying, hey, you know what? We're saying at the end of this year, this is what our team name is going to be. We're, we're, we're going into it. And they kind of gave themselves like, yeah, the football team is kind of tacky or whatever. But then people kind of just like accepted it and it, it is what it is, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, that's that's kind of where I think they've ran into a problem there. They sort of just said. I mean, how how they didn't know that they were going to have to change their name like whenever they were going to do it to begin. They had to have known. Um, they didn't have a backup plan or a plan ready to go when they were going to be forced to. 
Yeah, the worst the worst fans are the ones that are like, oh, they will always always be the Redskins. I'm always going to root for the Redskins. Like, are, are, I don't know. Are there any? Uh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Guardians fans that are still like, oh, oh no, God, yes. Indians. No, it's so tons. Stupid. That's all they do. That's all it is. And like I said, I mean, you guys went just straight from Indians to Guardians. The transition period, I think now, looking back, because they didn't just stick with the football team, I think was almost now worse for it because it was like we were the Redskins. Then we we're the football team. And now we got to go to the Commanders. I, I Like I said, either I, I would have just stuck with the football team or never even had that transition period and just gone straight to straight to a, a new name. So, you know, it is what it is. We got to live with it now. Um, I will say I, I am a little deflated these these last 24 hours, 48 hours, seeing it all. But, you know, once kickoff comes, you know, next season, I'll be I'll be going commando for the foreseeable future. Did you order any gear yet? I haven't. You know, what's funny is I actually don't even have any Washington football team gear. I've kind of sworn off buying jerseys because um, nobody wants to stay in Washington for an extended period of time. So I just like all my jerseys now are throwbacks. And now the throwback jerseys they sell obviously don't say Redskins on them. So I, I actually don't – I never purchased any actual Washington football team gear, which I'm, I'm thinking about going back and doing now just to have as, uh, you know, because it was a, a time period of, of when the team was a different name. Um, but uh, my uncle was already texting me. He's like, yeah, I'm going to buy a jersey. I just don't know which commander's jersey I'm going to get. I was like, buddy, like, let's let the ink dry a little bit. You know, the 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 – the uh, seams on the on the jerseys haven't even you know taken two yet. Let's let's take it a little bit. But I don't even I don't like I said I don't know if I'm gonna buy a jersey or not. I've kind of sworn them off for the last few years because I was one of those guys. I was like buying the newest one every year. Now I got a closet full of RG three and Kirk Cousins and Brian Arakpo's in my in my closet where I'd rather just rock the uh, Daryl Greens and the Art Monks and the uh, the Chris Cooleys of the world. You don't have to buy a jersey. You could buy like a hoodie and a shirt and all that other stuff. Yeah, you you're know, not just I'm not... limited to a hoodie. No, or to, I, to a jersey. Yeah, no, I. You know what's funny is I actually I'm I'm a not a big fan of like if I buy team gear, ninety eight percent of the time it's a hat. I'm not a huge hoodie T-shirt guy. I don't know why. I think it's because when I was younger, like all all I wore was team gear, whether it was the Yankees, Suns, you know, whatever. Like uh, Redskins, like it was all just team T-shirts, hoodies yada yada and so as i got older i don't know why i've just kind of strayed away from that um i still wear actually funny enough kind of contradict myself i still wear like plenty of yankees stuff just because the logo is clean like normally the stuff is pretty uh simple but as far as washington team gear I'm, I'm just not a big hoodie or just generic t-shirt guy when it comes to that well you got to make that transition like yeah i mean like i said i transitioned in high school and now i guess i got to transition yes. back Got it. Yeah, got to got to go back there. All right. So that's that. We'll see. They were the like top selling jersey team jersey yesterday. Well, no, she saw that. (laughs) Well, you're you're just saying let your you told your uncle. What? Let's wait till the ink dries and the stitching is stitched and whatever and all that. And they're out there selling the selling the highest highest team sold jersey yesterday. So what? That's that's uh, a lot of people were like your uncle. Well, what's what's the highest selling Nike? The one that's the release released the most recent. You know what I mean? So like that's that's what I mean. It's uh, it's new, so everyone had to go out and get one. You know, I'm me personally, me personally, I'm just gonna wait a minute and see what uh, see if 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 I end up pulling the trigger. That's fine. All right. Other thing in the NFL, lots of lots of coaches, big coaching. We haven't really talked coaching news so far, but. Uh, the, 
The big thing going on is obviously the Brian Flores leading up to the Super Bowl. Brady officially retired. So our social media team didn't jump the gun on that. We always trusted Schefter and Jeff Darlington that he was going to do that. And then his, shocking enough, his his retirement kind of got overlooked. I know it was a lot of people did their things on Saturday. But then on, on, uh, on uh, when was it, Tuesday, Tuesday when he did his retirement, it kind of got overlooked because then in the afternoon, Brian Flores goes out and files uh, um, a class action lawsuit against the NFL for uh, racist behavior in the NFL and hiring processes, um, which is very interesting to read and everything. And there's a lot of stuff in there that people are focusing on. They're focusing. They're focusing on two things. That is going to be the that Stephen Ross allegedly offered him a hundred thousand dollars to lose in 2019, which if they wanted Tua. They could have got Joe Burrow. Okay, they won five games. Then the other thing that I think the biggest thing is that, is that the Bill Belichick text text messages that he mistakenly texted. Brian Flores, what he meant to text Brian Dable, saying that he already got the Giants job. And then Flores had yet to interview with the Giants. So Flores was like, oh, it's a sham interview. They just needed to do this for the uh, Rooney rule. And that's pretty much when he decided to start doing the lawsuit because it was only like a week ago that the text messages were in there. And this is all this all stems from uh, Bill Belichick. And his misuse of communication. I'm not one of the guys, I don't know where you are on this, that thinks like, oh, Belichick did this to try and take down the Giants. I really don't think he did that. I just think, look, BD and BF in his phone, I assume are probably very, very close to each other. I'm probably right next to each other. And he just made a texting mistake like people have done. And we've all done that. And uh and yeah, big time, uh, big time problems now for uh, for the NFL. Yeah, if I had a nickel for every time I had to say, "Oh, sorry, wrong person," when I sent a text, uh, I wouldn't have to lose games and coach Miami. I would have plenty of money for uh, you know to 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 live on. So it's I, I agree. I don't I don't subscribe to that theory either. That oh, this was Belichick taking down the Giants because they beat him in two Super Bowls. Anybody that's saying that you're a dumb dumb or just a simple brain. Uh, I do think it was it was a mistake by Belichick. Now, the whole thing, like I, I don't disagree with Brian Flores in, in some aspects of this. And then some aspects, I think we need to take a look at it from a different angle where it's like, look, this whole time. Do you let me let me ask you this question first. Do you think the Rooney rule has led to more African-American coaches being hired? I don't know. Exactly. I, exactly. So the Rooney rule in itself is a sham. Now with that, now there has to be something put in place to where you make sure guys that deserve a shot to be interviewed for head coaching jobs should be getting interviewed, whether they're black, white, brown, yellow, green, blue. I don't care if you're a smart football guy, a good head coach, a leader of men, you should be able to get a job in the NFL. So to Brian Flores's point he felt like he had gone on a couple of sham interviews and you know what? He probably did, but that's not, uh, you know, his fault. That's not the team's fault that gave him those sham interviews. They, that's something that they had to do. If the giants, once they fired Joe judge, they were like, Hey, Dable is the guy we want. We want Dable. Let's go ahead and do our due process and go through our interview process of all these guys. 
But once they keyed in that they wanted Brian Dable, where it's like, well, shit, we still have this interview lined up with Brian Flores. We have to make sure we abide by the Rooney rule. So we have to follow through with this. Like Brian Dable's our guy. We want him. But guess what? We still got to we still got to fulfill the Rooney rule. So when he says they were just checking a box, you know what? They probably were. But that doesn't mean that's because, you know, it was necessarily because of his skin color. I don't think Brian Flores should have ever been fired. I think anybody that's smart, anybody with a brain other than Stephen Ross knows he should have never been fired from Miami. He was doing a great job there. Their first winning seasons, back-to-back seasons since 03. Turned their season around. Yeah, they started 1-7, and seven, but guess what? Nine times out of 10, when a team starts 1-7, and seven, they'll finish like 3-13. and 13. So the fact that he was ter- able to turn it around, win seven games, have them right on the brink of the playoffs with a below-average quarterback play, a roster that isn't beaming with talent, that says, says a lot about him. Now, with this lawsuit, he's probably kind of shot himself in the foot when it comes to trying to get another job in the NFL. So, you know, I think his biggest gripe should have been with the Dolphins and not with the NFL as a whole or with the Giants or the Broncos or these other teams that he named in the lawsuit. Because, like I said, just because they were they maybe had found their guy and they had to fulfill the Rooney rule. So they had to interview a minority head coach. uh, You know, like I said, that's not necessarily on them or their fault. They're just abiding by the rules set forth by the NFL. So I think his biggest gripe should be with NFL, Roger Goodell, whoever it is and not necessarily with these teams that he uh, named specifically. That's the part where I think he's kind of wrong in this. Again, Dolphins, 100% the wrong. NFL, sure, put them, you know, the, you you want to try and change the way things are run top to bottom in the in the uh, the National Football League, then fine. That's, that, you know, I totally get that. But that that's the part where I don't agree with it is blaming the Broncos, blaming the Giants, blaming these teams for – putting him through quote unquote sham interviews when their hands were tied and they technically had to. But how many, but white coaches don't have to do those sham interviews. Only the minority coaches well, and black no, coaches now, have to do the sham interviews. Now let's take a step back. Brian, let's say Brian Dable was the giants guy the entire time, the entire but time. You can't say that because they interviewed coaches before they even hired a GM. But I'm just saying, just in general, like I'm just using this as an example. I'm just using the, this one because it's the most recent. It's the one that's named in this. Say, if, you know, if a team has their guy, they're going to continue. Like, say, like, you know, say Dable was the fifth guy interviewed, but they still had guys lined up for six, seven, eight. Well, they're still going to interview six, seven, eight because they already had those guys interviewed. When he leaves the when he leaves the the boardroom or whatever, the meeting room, it's like, hey, that's our guy. That's who we want. Well, guess what? We already have these. Um, these interviews lined up let's go ahead and follow through again doing their due diligence as an organization should so the only reason it's not a sham interview is because of the rooney rule if it, if the rooney rule didn't exist then that's that, that that wouldn't have been a sham interview you get what i'm saying no because the the minorities go in there knowing that they're filling a quota for the Rooney rule, the white coaches go in there knowing that they're not filling a quota. They're going in and there on exactly merit. That's exactly my point. And that's my point. No, no, I, I would, I would disagree with that. My point is the Rooney rule is what creates these sham interviews for African-American or, yes, or people. I am agreeing on that. So, but what I'm saying is white coaches are still going on those same sham interviews, but they don't think it's a sham. They, they don't think it's a sham interview. They think they have a legit chance. The the minority coaches know most of the time that it's going to be a sham interview. How about how about this as an example? Let's, so, let's go look. So, no, let's go look at Brian Flores' text messages where he says, "I'm interviewing with the Giants. I think I got a shot." Well, and he thinks he's got a shot, and then Belichick tells him, 
I think Dable's, I think you do. And then he realized, oh, that was for Dable. And then he realized he's got no shot and it's a sham interview. So again, That's it's, when only it a sham, it's only a sham interview because they had already found their guy. And it didn't matter if Brian Flores was Brian Johnson and he was a white dude, it still would have been a sham interview because they already had their guy in Dable. But you're That's missing what I'm saying is that is that the minorities most of the time know when they're going in into a sham interview. Okay, here's but, here, but, but why, the white but people don't. That? The white why coaches don't. Because of the Rooney Rule. Yes, but the white coaches don't know that. That's what Brian Flores is trying to say. Here's here's an example here that is the shamest one of the shams of all shams interviews. How many people did the Cowboys interview when they hired Mike McCarthy? Two, right? They hired Mike know, McCarthy first, and then they 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 interviewed Marvin Lewis. And people were like, oh, Marvin Lewis. Where Marvin Lewis was like the first guy they interviewed. People were like, why did they hire Marvin Lewis? That seems pretty odd. That seems pretty weird. And then they brought McCarthy in, and they hired McCarthy on the spot because they knew they weren't going to hire, hire uh, uh, Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis knew that he probably wasn't going to get hired going into that job. Like, that's the thing. These guys know when they're going into an interview that they probably don't even have a chance. Like, I was listening to Dan Lebitard. I would say everybody should listen to Lebitard from Wednesday because it's really good. And he was talking to Howard Bryant, who is uh, one of the most respected journalists in there. He talks to a ton of uh, minority coaches. And he he said all the time minority coaches reach out to him and they should be like, and he's, and they were like, should I go take this interview? Like, I know I have no chance. They're just fulfilling it, but they're like, oh, you should take it because it's good experience or whatever. But if I keep doing these, it's good experience, good experience, but I never get a job. Like that's what, that's what these coaches are, are, are going through when they have to go through these interviews. And it's not. Like people want to blame the NFL or like, this is not a Goodell issue. This is not, this is the owner. This is an owner's issue. And I'm not saying the owners are like actively not trying to seek uh, African-American coaches out. Like they're not going to try and hire them. But when you have one black head coach right now and you're in a hiring cycle with six of them and you keep hiring these young white uh, offensive coordinators because they're geniuses. You never hear them call Eric Bieniemy a genius. Guys only had the the best offensive the, the best offensive football for four years. You don't hear people calling him an offensive genius. Why? Uh, I would disagree. I think people have called him a, 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 an offensive genius numerous times. Well, then why is he baffled. not getting an interview? Why is he well, not he, getting he, any he, interviews he, this time? Because he he has a checkered past. So you go back and look at his checkered past. He has he has some run-ins with the law. He has some things that are, are a little sketchy. And so I think that's what's keeping a guy like him, uh, who is a great coordinator, who has ran one of the best offenses we've seen for the last few years. I think that's kind of what's holding him back. Look at Byron Leftwich. He's been named numerous times. This guy's, you know, going to be the next in line for a head coaching job whenever he decides to leave Tampa Bay. He was in line to to possibly get the Jaguars job. He might still be the front runner to get the Jaguars job. So, again, you're right. It's not a Goodell issue. 100% agree. It's not a Goodell issue. The issue is, first off, let you know. I'll take a step back before I say that. You say it's it's all these all these white guys that are getting all these job interviews, all these um, uh, jobs in this hiring cycle. You look at NFL teams over the last, let's just call it 10 years. How many teams have turned over head coaches? Just about all of them. You know what I mean? And so there are a ton of head coaches going in and coming in and out. A lot of guys, they coach, then they get fired and they're never a head coach again because they're not very good at it. There's only a handful of good coaches in the NFL out of 32 teams right now. You know, there's what four without head coaches and six that 
just got new head coaches. So what is that? 22 teams that have had a, 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 their, their current head coach. How many of those are actually, would you say a good coach, maybe five, six at the most. So it's, it's hard to find a good coach to begin with. So whether it's black, white, doesn't matter. It's going to be tough to find a quote unquote good coach. There's going to be a cycle of guys in and out, in and out. So would you rather these guys go on quote unquote sham interviews or these guys get a job for three years, two years, whatever it may be, be fired and never coach again or never be a head coach again in the NFL. But they're not going to get the chance to be a head coach again, probably. The only one, like look at Jim Caldwell. Why don't you say taking the Detroit Lions to the playoffs in two years and having a winning record with the Lions in the four years that you were there is pretty damn good. And the guy hasn't even, he's got a couple interviews there, but when everybody brings him up, everybody starts laughing at him. That guy went to a Super Bowl, an AFC championship game, and took the Lions to the playoffs twice and finished with the winning record in Detroit. And what has Detroit done since he's left? Nothing. They gotten worse. Like, that's the thing. He, he had a winning record in Detroit and they fired him. You, if, 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 if I'm, I guarantee you, if a coach put up a record like Jim Caldwell did and he was white, he wouldn't have gotten fired from there. That's a bold statement to say, but that that's just that that's just bold. a I mean, fact. But you can't you can't say that's a fact because it's 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 not it's not a fact. There's nothing. I, th- I think that's that. a good chance. I think it's a good chance. I think it's a good chance. The Lions went to pull the playoffs twice in four years. They're like, we need to get Matt Patricia. That's ridiculous. Again, you're right. It's not an NFL problem. It's an organization problem. This is the other thing. Any organization that has had tons of turnover. Look, Ron Rivera, he's a he's a good head coach. Would you agree he's a good head coach? Yes or no? I think he's a fine head coach. I wouldn't fine say good. Coach. I think he's okay. average. Okay, fine. Let's look at Stefanski. How do, how do you think Stefanski's done so far in Cleveland? I think he's done a good job so far. Good job so far. Now I I'm not this is I'm not taking a shot at, at Cleveland. This is just I'm just going to use them as an example. I don't think he or the team is going to see any long or sustainable success because shit trickles downhill and it's a poor organization. Ron Rivera is a fine head coach. He's not going to see any long-term or sustained uh, success because Washington's a shit organization. Mike McCarthy, good head coach, won a Super Bowl. He has some doy-doy moments managing the game, but he gets the guys up and puts together a decent game plan. He's not going to see long sustained success or a Super Bowl. You know, that's what we're that's what the that's the bar for for success with the Cowboys because it's not a very well-run organization. These teams are bad because of who's running them at the top. So we agree. It's not an NFL issue. What about the Bengals? What do you mean? Mike Brown was one of the worst owners and cheapest owners in the league. And And they're in the Super Bowl now. Do you think Zach Taylor is a good coach? No, we've talked about that. I think he's an average coach at best. So they they're they're uh, an example of a team that just got hot at the right time. They were fortunate that the Browns had a bad year. The Ravens were riddled with injuries and the Steelers weren't very good this year because Ben Roethlisberger wasn't very good. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't very good. But guess what? Mike Tomlin, great head coach. So he was able to, you know, pull their dead bodies into the playoffs, whether it was, you know, a a good performance or not. So that again and the Steelers, a well-run organization. Very well-run organization. Anytime there's any kind of BS going on, guess what? Whoever's causing that BS, you're out of here. We'll find somebody to replace you. So that's a perfect example of it's from the top down of these organizations and not a coach-by-coach instance. It's just if you're a good organization, you're going to have success. If you have a good owner, you're going to have success. If you're a bad owner and run a bad uh, job, you know, do a bad job, that's this is what's going to happen. Where Brian Flores was with the Dolphins and Stephen Ross, that is a poorly run organization. He had success that they haven't seen before in the sense of winning ball games. 
but in the sense of, you know, having prolonged success, winning divisions, going to conference championship games, they were never going to see that because of who is running the team. I don't really think you could just blame it all on the owner. They're going to put people in the places. Like if you get a and good they're, and they're and they're bad decision makers. So they're never, so they don't ever get a chance to put these good guys. So you think Andrew Barry, so you brought the Browns. If you think Andrew Barry's a bad general manager then, and he's going to fail because Jimmy Haslam hired him, you know, probably uh, Which, now, now that failure, is total failure. bullshit wait, because wait, no, Andrew no, Barry is failure, one of the failure. Fail, failure is a strong word. What I'm saying is finding success. Now, just because you don't find success doesn't mean you failed. I think failure in this instance, when we're talking about the NFL, is just, you know, is your 0-15 or your 0-16s, your 1-15s. That is failing. You can be 10-6 and and not make the playoffs. You can be 11-7 and or whatever it is, 11-6 and and not make the playoffs or, or make the playoffs in and be out in the first round. Is that success? No, but it's not failure. So there is a gray area there. But like you could be one in 15 with the Bengals. Then you're in the Super Bowl two years later because you get a quarterback like it's it, that I'm not. No one's saying that Mike Brown's a good general manager. Look, anybody that would have been in that number one spot would have taken Joe Burrow. You for sure. I mean? But and, they and still look, took and, him. And were, and were they not criticized for taking Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell? Some people thought it was a good move. Some people didn't. It was 50 50. I think it was a little bit more than 50-50. I, I was fine with the Jamar Chase thing. I thought it was fine, but I think it was a little more than 50-50. People thought it wasn't. It was more of a flashy pick than it was the smart pick. But guess what? Again, the Bengals are, are a great example of a team that got hot at the right time, which is was in the playoffs, and they got in the playoffs because the rest of their division had a down year. You think the Bengals are going to be in the conference championship or fighting for a Super Bowl berth next year? I don't, personally. I so don't. You, so you, you think they're going to miss the playoffs next year? Why know, would you look know, at the bank? I don't know if missing the playoffs, but like I said, making a run to the to the conference championship. Now again, it's very hard to do that back to back. That's why we praise the Chiefs for being able to do it four straight years. That's why it's so spectacular the numbers the Patriots put up. But again, the Bengals are going to be good. They'll be fine. But again, I don't know if if I mean if if you're talking about making it to the divisional round and then losing, if you're defining that as success after making it to the Super Bowl, then we have different uh, definitions of success that you know we're just not going to agree on, which is fine. You know what I mean? It's it's not like it's got to be a an argumentative point. It's just we we're, all, what we define success are two totally totally different. They've got the guy. They've got the guy. So they're elevated now to the next level. They're only going to get better. They've got that guy. You would assume. You would assume. Absolutely. You would assume they're only going to get better. You would hope. I would think it's pretty a good chance that they're, they're only going to get better. So like, we'll, we'll see. You know, we, we'll talk about we'll, we'll look at the Browns again. Again, we're just using them as an example. It's it's not taking shots. The whole Odell thing that didn't work out. Was that an Andrew Barry move or was that the previous regime? That was John Dorsey move. OK, we look at the Jarvis Landry thing. He, you said yourself he's probably going to be gone. What but that's does, not because of poor performance. Correct, it's because his correct, contract. Right, he's right, been a great. Right. He's been now a let great me addition. Now let me finish my point. Now, so what Andrew Barry does from this point moving forward, when you lose your arguably two top receivers for different reasons, you know what they do at the quarterback position because it looks like Baker may not pan out. Who knows? We'll see what he does in his fifth year. Then that point forward, you can you'll be able to quantify and see. Okay, is this going to be a successful organization? Is this going to be a successful uh, uh, term? for this current regime, whether it's Stefanski, whether it's Barry, whoever it is, the player personnel, I don't know if it's the same guy as Barry or if it's somebody else. So that's that's when you can kind of see, are they going to be successful? If they're still, you know, middle of the row, making the playoffs, losing the first round, 
would you define that as success for for Andrew Barry? I, it depends what happens. It all depends what happens. I what about you, the they, Bills they, this they, year? Would you call the Bills a failure this year? It wasn't a, again. It wasn't a success. It was okay. Not but are we ready to fire everybody from the Bills? So say the Browns have That's, a great season and they lose confused. a. This is where you're getting confused. Failure and success are not mutually exclusive. You can you can have success or you can't have success without failing. You can still be like I said, that middle of the row. By their terms, they were not. They did not have six success this season because they didn't win the Super Bowl. That's what all these teams are trying to do. But again, when you're especially like the Bills, when they haven't had a lot of success in just a broad term as an organization until the last few years, now, you again, your bar starts moving a little bit. Your bar starts moving higher, higher, and higher. They have Super Bowl aspirations. So, again, by their points, did they, were they, did they have a successful season? No, but they won the division again. They had a strong team. They ran into a, a good Chiefs team that, you know, was measuring or, or trying to play up to the same bar that the Bills now are. And they had a bad, you know, literally bad flip of a coin kind of cost them there. So, again, oh, you're not ready to fire uh, the, the entire, or, you know, the entire uh, team there in Buffalo because it wasn't a failure. A failure is not winning ball games. going, you know, three and 14 going. The Browns aren't going to be going three and 14. They're Nobody not going to be. The Browns are going to do that. Nobody I know that. Right. But, okay, let me get back to the Browns thing. Okay, so you said Andrew Barry, this and that. Andrew Barry has had two seasons with the Browns. What did Correct. he do the first year he get it? What did he do the first year? The offense needed a total remaking, and the offensive line needed a total remaking. So what does he do? He signs Jack Conklin. He signs Austin Hooper. He signs all these guys on the offense side of the ball. And in the second half of the year, they have a top 10 offense of the league. They go and win a playoff game in, in, in the division around. What was the issue for the Browns la the year they went to the playoffs? Their defense and secondary was terrible. So what does he do? He drafts another cornerback. He signs John Johnson. He drafts safety and Grant Delp. But all these guys in the defense in the back half of the year turns into a top 10 defense defense in the league. I think he's pretty good at identifying what the team needs are. And now the team needs a quarterback. So I assume he's going to go out and try and find um, a quarterback. Perfect. Good. Would you say that the Browns had a successful season? No, okay. I would not. And I don't think would anybody would, you would say, would you say that they failed, that they had a failure of a season? Yes, because they didn't make the playoffs and they didn't, they didn't go on, but I don't think anybody's blaming Andrew Barry for that. Again, yeah, yeah, I, I think I think we're we're kind of we're not really on the same on the same page of, of what of what I'm saying here. Poorly run organizations aren't going to see long. But they didn't. They weren't. They weren't success. You're saying they're poorly run the last two years. I'd say that that's total bullshit. They're not a poorly run organization over the last two years because we're talking about the Browns. No, I'm I'm, well, you're you think the the Browns for the first since 1999. Until Andrew Barry's walked in the door, have been a poorly run organization. I'm not denying that, but the the the, the total tenor of the organization has changed since he's walked in the door, and Kevin Stefanski have walked in the door. That's just a fact. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. And so then we can start judging him. Uh, you know, these last two years, you feel like he's done a good job, and now let's look at where we're at three, four, five years down the road. If there's a whole new team in there, a whole new regime in there, you know, front office head coach. Was that a success? No, because I, I'm talking. I'm not disagreeing with you. We're also getting way off the point of what we were talking we about earlier. We 100% are. Because you just hijacked this thing. The whole the, forbid. I'm sorry. I know it's a short thing. I know. No, 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 I'm not saying you hijacked it, but this this isn't even what we were talking about before. Andrew Barry, also African American, running a running a team, which doesn't really happen, which gets back to the thing there. Again, like my whole point was that. Brian Flores definitely has a gripe. He has an argument. 
But, but I think the bigger point with your Brian Flores gripe is what about him not talking to the talking to his coaches for the last four weeks of the season? Isn't that partly on him? Like there's other 100%. things than just winning ball games. So like I don't like yeah his 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 firing in Miami was a surprise or whatever. But I don't think it goes without being like justified. He had three offensive coordinators in three years when the offense was pretty poor. He's in charge of that. His his coaching staff doesn't get along with them. That's also more than just winning games. Yeah, he won games, but he also lost seven in a row and then he beat a bunch of bad teams down the stretch like that's that that's the whole thing about the Flores thing I oh then you I, don't think he deserves to be a head coach again no I think he does he should get another chance but he probably needs to take a look in the mirror and say I need to change some of the things that I did in Miami before that and I I don't think the whole gripe with the lawsuit is with the Dolphins the Dolphins the only gripe with the Dolphins should be that the only thing they should look into is that he he um he was getting offered a hundred thousand dollars to get uh, to lose games. The whole gripe with this thing goes back to the Giants. They are the team that is going to be made the example out of it. And you disagree with it, but they are because they are in the hiring practices. They are doing the hiring practices. The Dolphins. You, if you're a coach, you can. If you're an owner, you can fire a coach. So should the Texans for firing David Coley after one year be in the be in the um, in the uh, in the same same realm as Flores because everybody thought the Texans were going to be so bad. And look at the end of the year, the Texans actually played pretty well. So why is, why is Cal McNair not in the cross, the same crosshairs as uh, Steven Ross is right now? No, I agree. I 100% agree. I had the same conversation with a buddy last night. I agree. The Texans, uh, again, another poorly run organization. I don't think that's a very well run organization. So again, poorly run, Poor decisions are made. And and so we're on the same page there. I don't think David Coley should have been fired either. Now, I don't know that he would have been the guy anyway. And that gets to back to my point of how many good head coaches are there really? There's so many variants of what makes a good coach. There's a good motivator. There's a guy that puts together a good scheme. You know, look at Kyle Shanahan. He's a guy that can scheme up just about anything. Great offensive mind. But when it comes to making in-game decisions, he stinks. Same thing with, you know, we talked about with McCarthy. There's guys that make good in-game decisions. There's guys that are able to get, mo- you know, get guys motivated to play for them and want to play behind them. But guess what? They have other guys that are scheming up what they're going to do uh, either offensively or defensively. So there's so many variants that go into what makes a good head coach, what makes a successful head coach. And you're right. It's not just about winning ball games, but when owners and fans are, that's, that's what they deem as successful. And, you know, you can say what you want about the fans having a voice in it. Should they have a voice? Probably not. But you're still going to hear some of that stuff. That's what it, that's where it comes into play. Now, th- the point where we disagree about the Giants should be the one, uh, you know, that are that are in that are in the crosshairs or that should be held accountable. Why is it their fault that they wanted Brian Dable and they didn't want Brian Flores? You just said, you know, that I we both agree. Brian Flores should have another shot to, to coach. But he had three offensive coordinators in three years. They're trying to find some sustainability with the Giants, some long-term success. So when you see a guy that did have instability within his own coaching staff, he didn't talk to his coaching staff the last month of the season, why are you going to try to hire that guy? Now, again, should he be interviewed? Yes. But the only reason it's a sham interview is because of the Rooney rule. I don't think the Rooney rule has led to any more minority coaches being hired than it did previously. That's my point. But then, but the whole thing is, is that, the sham interviews is what Brian Flores is trying to stop. Agreed. And that's the, what he's... The only thing the Rooney Rule is guaranteeing is that a minority coach will be interviewed. Correct. You know? And so that's fine. I That premise, I agree with. It absolutely should. It, you know, like you should have to guarantee that 
you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of a catch 22. Cause how do you guarantee that minority coaches will get interviews, but not guarantee that they're going to be sham interviews. You know, you can't, you can't have both. It, it's going to be one or the other. It's, it's unfortunate. And I think that's going to be the biggest issue that, that, that needs to be addressed. It does. And that's why Brian Flores is preaching on. That's why you listen to these guys. As I said, Howard Bryan, who talks to these coaches, they feel like they just take the token interview because they're forced to. Right. That's that's what they're trying to do. And it's like the NFL, as much as people want to criticize, I said this is not a Goodell issue. Goodell's actually trying like the NFL is actually trying to get minorities hired. Right. They they've 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 they have like a whole division of trying to get minority outreach in the NFL where they've hired people. They're trying. They've hired a ton of uh, minorities in the league office and women and all that. And they've put in compensation for your teams. This is the most amazing thing that I'm shocked people are not talking about when it comes to hiring minorities at the NFL. If you hire someone in your pro personnel department or is on your coaching staff and he is a minority and you've developed them, you get two third round compensatory picks one the next two years. So if Tampa Bay, for instance, if Byron Leftwich gets hired by Jacksonville, they get a third round compensatory pick this year and next year. The Browns, they're the, the, the GM that went to the Vikings. He was in the Browns organization. The Browns this year get an extra third round compensatory pick and they get one next year. They're literally telling you hire minorities and we will give you a competitive advantage by giving you a third round compensatory pick. The best compensatory pick that is out there. They're literally telling you we will give you draft picks if you hire minorities and they move on. Like That's ridiculous. That shouldn't have to happen but they're doing it to try and incentivize teams to hire minorities that is ridiculous that's insane it is no i agree and like i said that's where that's where we agree a hundred percent it shouldn't have to be that it shouldn't have to come down to that like that should not be the case it's unfortunate that it is you know but i i, I and again i think that's why it's more you know like i said we agreed at the very beginning it's more on the owners and the organizations than it is on the NFL because the NFL is trying to do what they can. It's anybody that has a gripe with the NFL and Roger Goodell, you're, you just don't understand the, the issue at hand. It, what it is, is poor again. And this is, this gets back to the point of, of, of when we started kind of getting off topic was poorly, poorly run organizations are usually led by owners that make bad decisions. They're just bad decision makers. Like, you know, obviously they're, they're billionaires. So they have made some good decisions down the line, uh, you know, prior to this, but then when it comes down to trying to put the perfect guys in place or the right guys in place, they just haven't shout out to uh, uh, the Browns owner. He he's put in a couple guys the last few years. They've gone on to be hired somewhere else. So now they're getting two third round picks made a good decision. Now they're, they're not going to make a good decision every single time. Kraft made a good decision by he hired Hugh okay. Jackson, bad decision. A hundred percent. Exactly. That's what I mean. You know, so, so you're not going to hit hundred percent of the time. Nobody is. But more often than not, when you have bad owners, they're going to make those bad decisions more often than not. And that was, that was kind of the point that I was getting to about bad, badly run organizations. You think the Bears are going to have success with Eberflus for the next five or seven years? Probably not. He's probably not going to be the right guy. Why? Because the owners of, uh, of the Bears don't run that organization like an NFL organization. They run it like a mom and pop shop like it was back in the 1930s. And so they're just trying to do everything kind of on the cheap, kind of, you know, just to just to cross that threshold of what they need to to run an organization. That's not going to be a successful organization. That that's kind of what I was I was getting to of why it's an ownership issue and not an NFL issue. 
But I mean, you, you, but there's every coach has taken. Look at the Broncos; they don't have any owners right now. They're in a trust. Are yeah. they a good run organization? Uh I mean, they've won Super Bowls in the last twenty years, so they've had success. They won one. They well, you go back. Okay, so twenty three years, they've won three. Okay, but their owner he died, and now they're in a, they're in a trust. They're in a trust, and there's a huge ownership fight over them, which has been one of the most underreported, most juicy stories in the NFL that they've had in the last ten years, and no one's talking about it. It's great, but there, no one would say the Broncos. Look how many coaches they've had. Yeah. John Elway has has what he hired five coaches when he was there and just kept running through them. I wouldn't say that's a that's very stable and a good Agreed. organization. Agreed. That's the thing. Like if you if once you realize you have a bad coach, you're gonna fire them. That. If anything, realizing that you made a bad hire and firing them should be should be um, praised instead of just sticking with the guy for the whole time and thinking, oh, you know what? We're average, this and that. You know what? He's not getting it done. We're, we're kicking the can. But all right, enough about this. There's one Super Bowl bet that I like out there that I liked on Monday after I looked, took a deeper look. No punts out, but it's sacks. We talked about the total sacks. It's like four and a half. It's minus like 185 now too much juice there wait for that and i'm gonna wait for that to go up my uh over two and a half pass attempts it's now up to plus 120 so uh people are taking the under on that the one the one bet i do like is over a half a sack so you just need a half a sack for a push one sack for a one sam hubbard to get a half a sack that's plus 250 okay he's from cincinnati he was, he played the game of his life against the Chiefs. The game of his life against the Chiefs. I think he's going to have a nice game uh, this week with Trey Hendrickson opposite him. Andrew Whitworth's a little old. There's not a little old. He's very old and he struggles. Um, at times. Too. He's a little beat up. He is beat up too. So I like Sam Hubbard. He had two sacks against the Chiefs. I think he will at least get a half a sack in this game. So him at plus 250, uh, I like that. That Very is the nice. one bet I would like to share today. Yeah, I haven't I haven't dove into uh, into props just yet. I'll uh, I'll be ready to roll with them next week when we when we do our prop show. Yes. All right, we'll do that. All right. Then USA Soccer last night, they beat Honduras three to nothing. Great. They're in second in the table. Canada's four points ahead. There's three games left in March. Um, they're they got a little help from Mexico. They 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 need about four points from their next three games in March. They play at Mexico, home to Panama, and on the road at Costa Rica. So if you beat Panama, you're pretty much going to be uh, in in the World Cup and have to avoid the fourth place qualifier game against Oceania. The bigger problem I have yesterday, though, with the U.S. is U.S. soccer and uh, Greg Ber- Berhalter. The coach. So they played the game in St. Paul. I don't know if you knew that. The temperature at this kickoff was like one degree. The wind chill was like minus 15, minus 20. Just absurd that they would play this game in St. Paul. Like they played Thursday in Columbus against El Salvador. It was like 25 degrees there. Fine. Then they played in Canada and they were like, oh, let's go play in St. Paul short on travel. You could have gone anywhere. You could have gone to Nashville. You could have gone to all these other places. It would have been probably in the 30s there with what the weather's going through. But to play in St. Paul, and then you have a chance to move to the, um, you have a chance to move to the Viking Stadium to play in controlled environment 
not only did two Honduras players yesterday after the match uh, have to be treated for hypothermia, which is insane. Your goalie's running over for a blanket in the middle of the match and stoppage of play. He's doing laps on the field to stay warm. Like, just ridiculous. You're putting your own players at risk. You're we're, The U.S. soccer now has so many good young players. You're supposed to be free-flowing, attacking, fun football to watch. And here we are. They won 3 nothing. Who cares? You should be Honduras and Florida. Okay, Honduras is the worst team in the uh, octagonal. You shouldn't have to put him up there in three-degree weather to beat Honduras. And I know home field advantage, home field advantage, blah, blah, blah. That was, it's ridiculous that they that they picked there to play. And now U.S. soccer and Greg Berhalter is going to be like, oh, you know what? We That was great. We won that game because home field advantage. We won that game because of home. No, you won that game because you're way better, way better than Honduras. And it didn't need to be playing St. Paul and putting your players and the other players from Honduras at risk, like I'm stunned Honduras even played yesterday. They should have just boycotted and said, we're, we're not playing in this game. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I wasn't sure where it got played, but I saw I, I, I saw a little bit of the game. I saw the Pulisic goal um, live when it happened, um, but I just saw that it was freezing. I mean, you could see, obviously, all the guys gloved up in, uh, and wearing the earmuffs or whatever and blowing hot steam everywhere uh, while they're breathing. So, yeah, that's – that's brutal. That's not playing. There's nothing worse than running in the cold either. Like your lungs feel like they're on fire. Uh, and uh, you have to do it at a high level when you're playing these, these, uh, these CONCACAF games. That's what it is, right? CONCACAF. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's nothing worse than running in the cold, but yeah, no, that's tough, uh, tough spot. I don't really have an opinion on it, but I just know that that had to suck. I mean, two players on the other team got treated for hypothermia. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that is bad. <laughs> like that, like seriously, <laughs> that's, that is, that's, I mean, come on. Yeah. How, far, how far is St. Paul from uh, Minneapolis? Do we know? They're the Twin Cities, aren't they? Isn't that the Twin Cities? Yeah. Why didn't they just go to Minneapolis and play inside the dome at uh, where the Vikings play? Because they wanted to play outside in the cold to be the home field advantage. Ah, uh, that's. They literally used the, they got like the quarterback hand warmer things. Yeah. For the goalie from the Vikings, they used the Vikings heated bench. They used a ton of the Vikings cold weather equipment that they still had, or the university of Minnesota's like cold weather equipment that they had. Cause they weren't prepared. That's uh, yeah, that's when they played El Salvador and Columbus on fr- on Thursday, El Salvador, when they got off the plane, they didn't have any cold weather gear. So they had to go to um, Dick sporting goods and buy like 36 winter coats and 36 of like everything. Brutal. Yeah. But I mean, too, that's also kind of on the teams to know, like, hey, why don't you pull up the weather app real quick on your phone? Well, yeah, I agree. But El Salvador doesn't have any of that stuff anyways to begin with. Like playing in Columbus, that's fine. I don't have any issues in that. You could, you know, Columbus in January could still get pretty cold. But just going to like St. Paul, where it's going to be frit- even more yeah. frigid than Columbus is, is ridiculous. You're basically in Canada at that point. Yes. And then your coach is taking pictures with fans during games. It's just, it's just. I've never seen a U.S. team, a, a coach for a U.S. soccer team, have the record he does. He's like 22-3-3 three and three in competitive matches, and, like, everybody hate the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, want him fired. Like, usually if a coach is that good, you're like, wow, this guy's really good. We, we want him. I've never seen that someone want, him, want a coach fired for having the, quote-unquote, successful record 
that uh, he's had. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's wild. But that's uh, that's that. They play Mexico. Let me see. It's like March twenty, March twenty fourth. They play Mexico, uh, in Mexico. So if you go to that and you're a U.S. fan, you're going to get hit with a bunch of piss bags. So FYI. Uh, all right. Huh? I said bring the poncho. Bring the ponchos in the third stick of uh, Stadio Azteca. Uh, all right. Anything else here? The Olympics. Uh, I watched some mixed curling the other day, yesterday morning. U.S. dodged a bullet against uh, Australia, which was nice. They won. The, the woman on Australia missed the last stone throw. What's more shocking, the fact that Australia has a curling team or the fact that Australians curly, Australia's curling team made it to the Olympics? I think they only made it in mixed doubles. But nonetheless, either they way, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> I, matter. I was going to have to look up if they're actually from Australia or if it's some like... Uh, like um, Icelandic... Uh, dual nationality situation. Yeah. But no, I think they're from Australia. That's wild. Yeah. But those get underway. Uh, I think we get the medal starting on Saturday. Oh, Monday show. Short little guy I was trying to remember. Brian Gianta. That's who I was trying to remember. No idea who he is. Yeah, I think he was a, he was an old ranger. His name just like came to me like in the middle of the day. I was just I was not even thinking about it. And it was one of those where it just hits you. I was like, Brian Gianta. That's who I was trying to remember. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, only real puckheads like me would, uh, yeah. would remember that. Yeah. Only real puckheads like you. Um, yeah, I have no idea who he is. Five foot seven. Yeah, see, short king. That's who. That's who I was trying to remember. He is five foot seven. There you go. Um, let's see. Yeah, born in a. These people are birthed in Australia. The mixed doubles team. So, uh, the U.S. If you think the U.S. men are going to repeat as gold medal champs in uh, curling, their uh, uh, plus twelve hundred, mm. which I don't think that's. Uh, Pretty good odds there. But, uh, yeah. All right. Anything else? That, that that does it for us. Yeah, that'll do it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. There was some Bryson DeChambeau news, I should say. Did you see this? That We talked about that Premier Golf League a while ago. Yeah. They're playing an event in uh, Saudi Arabia this week. Um, some people call it the Bonesaw Invitational. Others call it the Saudi Arabia Championship. But, um, allegedly, he got... Offered a hundred and thirty-five million dollars, a hundred. So that that turns out to be a hundred million pounds to be the face of the Premier Golf League. Now I saw on Instagram one of those um, golf accounts or whatever. Mm-hmm. He commented on it and said that it's not true, oh. but uh, if he does accept. He would face like a, I think like a lifetime ban from the PGA Tour, which, I mean, if you make a hundred, you can still play in all the majors, which are really only the tournaments that matter. The only one you can't play for is the President's Cup, which who really cares about that? The Players Championship and the FedEx Cup. You'll still play on the Ryder. You could still be on the Ryder Cup team because it's a PGA of America event. Um, but yeah, he got offered allegedly 135 million dollars for that. I mean, you now he's denied it. it, huh? I mean, if that's true, you gotta at least think about it. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, there's gonna be a lot of uh, this thing is gonna be spicy for golf because Phil's come out and said how he hates the PGA Tour. In a Golf Digest interview, d- uses their 
media distribution and all that stuff. And he's acting really greedy and everything about about this. It's a, quite the tone changer from I, I would like to thank Tiger for everything that he's done to grow the game and give me the life I have. Because let's be honest, Tiger's the only reason all these golfers have a chance to make this much money. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what uh, what happens with that. They're playing this week. A bunch of top guys are playing in there. So we'll, we'll have to see what uh, what's going on over there and yeah. what continues to develop. Like Kepka was throwing shade at Phil, saying, don't think I would want to come off as a greedy guy here. Um, it'll be... Uh, It'll be interesting. Beefs, beefs could be starting in golf, which, which I think we need more of. Definitely. All right. That'll do it for us. We'll be back Monday. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you then.